Welcome to Real History, the show that discusses the historical content of fiction, whether it's films, TV, books, video games, comics, although we've done mostly films and a few and one video game franchise so far. There will be more hmm. in the future. My name yes. is Hugh David, I am your co host and co producer. With me is a mum trying to not go stir crazy, otherwise known as Jenna, <laughs> <laughs> who co-hosts and co-producer as well, and also yeah, she Jenna's a history graduate. I'm a history teacher, uh, amongst other things. And we this episode we're going to talk about Monty Python's Life of Brian. Happy Easter, indeed, for people who <laughs> celebrate. Yeah. Um, so I'm just uh, gonna have all the chocolate eggs. Of course. Uh, Jenna, why are we doing Life of Brian in a history series? Because of Easter. <laughs> well, yeah. other reasons are now, obviously. <laughs> and... <laughs> trying to feel a little bit. It's like trying to get... It's like, come on, Jenna, use your university stuff. Think about this. <laughs> yeah. But Well, the thing is, I think a lot of people... I mean, some of the reviews at the time used to say this, but one of the things people forget is that the historical side of Python stuff, yes, everyone thinks of the humour, everyone thinks of the wackiness, but mm. there's a lot of, particularly the, particularly the time when films and plays often glorify or glamorise certain parts of history, their versions of history feel, therefore, more realistic. Yes. Um, so I think... The reason we're covering it because it's a very important film in the um, context of when it was made and the discussions around it when it was made, as well as the actual historical context and. Um... Uh, bah, 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 bah. Sorry, I think the... can I start nope. that sentence? Again? You can, but I think you were spot on. I yeah. think the historical context is what we came here for, but actually there are things that make it interesting at the time, as we always talk about the films themselves and their production mm. at the time, and this is no exception. However, to start with, um, let's look at what this film is and isn't. So this film is in all... So Monty Python, great, very famous British com- comedic troupe, yes. did, was it, did set a seasons of television... Uh, they all came out of a particular scene of comedy, which is um, British university uh, theatre-based comedy or club-based yes. comedy. So it's uh, a mix of so... sta- mix of stand-up and sketches and stuff. Uh, so did oh, what is it? The Cambridge Lights. I can't. So remember. you have Footlights, and then you yeah, have footlights. I can't remember the other one, but both Oxford and Cambridge have these. <laughs> Um, uh, programs and um, over the last 50, 50 years 60 Something years like yeah. we've had a lot of British comedy come out of these arenas which is one of the reasons why you have the the unusual balancing act of a lot of British comedy where you have people who are or may have been establishment in their origins and in their lifestyle nevertheless Taking pot shots at the establishment and under yes. and undercutting it. You know, satire is a massive part of these uh, of this strain of humour. Um, and um, I suppose the equivalent in the states would be the National Lampoon Review and Hartwood from Harvard and things like that. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah. So 
the they made it when they came so in television they worked in the the, the team of people who came together so uh, Graham Chapman, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, um, uh, John, John Cleese. Cleese. Uh, Terry Gilliam, and I'm missing one. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the last one. Hang <laughs> on, no, 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 this is terrible. A band of my age should know all of these off by heart, like I used to, and I am missing Eric, Eric Idle. Idle. <laughs> hey, we got that. Um, so I was trying to give you a chance. You, no, you should have just gone for it. You're the co-host. Um <laughs> So one of the things that uh, so they all came together. Some of them were already working together in different yeah. teams. Gilliam, uh, as an art student, an animator and filmmaker, um, was doing well, you know, visuals. And they, you know, well documented in other places now via documentaries and so forth. They they mm. came together, uh, created Monty Python's Flying Circus, which was considered somewhat groundbreaking at the time, not least in its kind of fluid way of moving from sketch to sketch via surreal animation from Gilliam which has also given it the the, the brand if you like um, it's classic images including the giant foot that stomps things and I would say a lot of famous sketches come from Flying Circus like that are actually history based as well. Like you never expect the Spanish Inquisition. Well, well, this is the thing. They had a cl- they, these did the, most of the, most or all of the, most of these gentlemen had a classical education. Yeah. So a lot of the the jokes are fundamentally based in history, philosophy, economics, politics, yes. the things that people do at Oxford and Cambridge, famously <laughs> outside of the sciences or maths. You yes. know, you know, with the famous PPE degree. You know, it's very much kind of embedded in that. And so you're right. There's the the most some of the most famous sketches. So yeah, uh, Spanish Inquisition, uh, which parodies the idea of the Spanish Inquisition themselves and the way they fu- they might have functioned. Um, mm. This idea that some it, it's that it's this idea that something terrifying can be brought down to its knees with humor. Yes. You know, they undercut the terror and the horror of, of it by, by suggesting what if it's like, if it's run by people who aren't that bright. Um, <laughs> uh, and then ministry get, of silly walks, ministry of silly walks is all about British. Is that classic about is classic British institutions and bureaucracy and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, my, one of my favorite ones is the philosopher's soccer match. So you have okay. all. The... Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Okay, so the philosopher's soccer match. So imagine an actual soccer match being commentated on by two English sports commentators, right? Can we just change it to football, please? Sorry, football. <laughs> and um, one team is all the German philosophers, and yeah. the other team is all the Greek philosophers. Oh God! And so they're there, and and they're getting ready, and then when it says and you know, and the whistle blows, and they're off, they all just stop. And instead of running, they all just stand around thinking. <laughs> And it's like, hmm, Hegel looks like he might have an idea. No, no, he hasn't got it yet. <laughs> and then suddenly, yes, and then you get Eureka, and it's like, Socrates has an idea. Hill, look, he's running for the ball. <laughs> the oh, thing is, um, you need, oh. if, you know, when you know the when you know whose philosophies are what, it's so funny. Is there? Uh, I can't remember his name. The guy that lived in a barrel. Oh, oh, the Gumby. Um. Dermatis? Because... Oh no no no! I know who you mean. I know who yeah. you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who um? I think it was it was Socrates said that a human is a two-legged creature with no fur or feathers, 
and he ran into his classroom presenting him with a chicken that he plucked, going, "It's a human." <laughs> Yeah, that this is the, this is the fun of it, and I think they, I think the pythons got the fun of history in that way. Because um, history and... is ridiculous. We've got to remember, humans have kind of always been the same way that we are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even at these great times of historical importance, there would have been something silly happening. <laughs> oh well, exactly, exactly. Even if the silliness can sometimes be particularly an English form of silliness. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other one I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember if I can get the details right, but the other one they did was they did a uh, I can't remember if it's university no not university challenge they did a British quiz show like a like a TV quiz show you know the sort of thing where you have the presenter um, uh, you know being all like and now it's your turn let's see if you can get three points kind of thing right except it's all dictators. Okay. <laughs> you know, and it's like they ask them political questions, and of course they get the political politics right. And in the moment, they ask them a football question. <laughs> um, so you know, there's a lot of history was important to them. They got it, they understood it. But I think, and when they started, so, so their first feature film was them recording their live show in the states after, yes. long after the TV show had ended, but it had become a success in repeats here and reruns there. And um, or cable, though I can't remember which, but it'd be it'd become a cult sensation. But enough, it was big enough that they could fill the Hollywood Bowl, and they filmed it. It's um, it always seems like whenever you hear of a Monty Python fan from America, it always makes it sound like they think they're more intelligent. They think it, which here it's kind of it's not lowbrow at all, but it's a very standard kind of British humour. Well, yeah. in America, it's seen as more for the educated. And... Well, it's worth pointing yeah. out that it wasn't. I don't think it was. It certainly wasn't standard when it started. Yeah, and I think it, 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 you know, yes, there were people trying out things before them. Spike Milligan um, was doing stuff similar. To, was sort of similar to them beforehand, and you know, the, the, <clears throat> there's a lot of antecedents to. Flying circus, but nobody kind of brought the elements together the way they did. Mm. Um, but I think you're right that it became the influence of it is ginormous, and everything yeah. that comes afterwards, so much of it that comes afterwards, not everything. And we've got so to much... remember that this is a prime time TV show because it was it yeah. BBC One as well. Yeah, it didn't do very well if memory serves, but it, which is what you know one of the reasons it got cancelled in the end. But um, I think it, it still th- did well enough to get. One or two, well, three years, I think it was. Yeah, so three seasons. But but interesting, you know, when they finally revived themselves as a feature enterprise later in the seventies, you get the first thing they do after the live show is the Holy Grail, and yay, you know, Arthurian (laughs) stuffs in the air in the seventies. You've got the, the hit musical Camelot. Um, you'll get the you'll there'll be the movie Excalibur around the corner soon. But the thing, one of the things that people think about Holy Grail is that for all the clip cloppiness and the budget saving, like look, <laughs> isn't it funny when someone doesn't have a horse and they're just using coconuts? You know, um, is the fact that actually there's a lot of it's gr- it's not like most other versions of the Holy Grail. It's grungy, it's dirty, yeah. it's bloody. You know, it's it's 
because of course that's the other thing to remember is the show was the TV show was unafraid to be very gory. Mm. Um, with bits I would of... say the gore is kind of in a comical sense. Yeah, so it's but not but more gore, more... gore, but it's just kind of blood everywhere. No, but it's a bit closer to horror than to horror comedy than than you would expect from a British TV yeah. show, comedy show. Mm. I mean, the famous the 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 um, tennis match by Sam Peckinpah, in which people start slicing each other's you know the 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 the, the they, they they are killing each other with um, tennis rackets and you know the rackets are going into the body and there's blood spurting everywhere which is a parody of the the film director Sam Peckinpah who brought slow motion and blood squibs to kind of the fore in, in Hollywood violence mm. but um but that's not something you expect to see in a british sketch show and i think that's one of the things that the audience at the time had trouble with but by the time you get to holy grail we've had the 70s decade of cinema and we've had a lot of action and gore and violence and you know full-blown horror nasties have emerged that's obviously not my term because i think they're classics a lot of them (laughs) but you know we we've had where's craven and texas chainsaw and all that stuff you know the good the, the the good but transgressive and disturbing stuff and so holy grail doesn't you know, yes, we can show bits of people lopped off and blood spurting, and it's, it's just a joke. A flesh wound. Well, that's the joke, isn't it? That's exactly <laughs> the joke. But then, and and that is a, that is a, a, a both a joke on the way we perceive the records of knights and the legends and stories of how these people behaved, and you know the bravery. Tis but a flesh wound, but also it's a parody of Hollywood films. Yeah, and this the hero going, "It's okay, I can keep going," you know. Um, which is a standard joke for quite a few years. I can even Eddie Murphy was was making jokes like that in the eighties mm. after he'd done a movie. His one of his stand-up shows was like, "It's not the same," you know. He's like, "You stand in the movie and you go, yeah, ah, ah, it's okay, carry on without me," you know. But in real life, you're like, ah, <laughs> um, and it's you know. But these guys all had a point to make. So the the, the, the I'm, I'm rambling. The, the, let's get back to life of Brian. The thing is. What I don't think anyone expected after the people after them taking on British legends and myths, I don't think anyone expected them to take on one of the fundamental stories at the heart of Christianity. Yes, and Islam, I should point out. And no, well, I was just about to say Judaism, but that's but of course it's not, point. is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and of course, it's this this story of Jesus of Nazareth, and is the fi- the film doesn't actually parody the story of Jesus Jesus is actually there at the time yes. off sort of you know not quite off screen but he the story is happening and we are looking at someone else at the same time who is being mistaken for a messiah yes and happens to share his birthday yes and it's worth pointing out that historically at that time in that place there was a there you know there was a quest to find yeah, people were keeping an eye out for a Messiah. People were looking for, as per Jewish um, belief, they were yes. looking for the Messiah who would bring about, you know, change in the Second Coming and all of that. Because of course they they the were under of, the Romans. Yeah, because that's the kind of difference between Judaism and Christianity is that Christianity have their Messiah. Yeah, it's like come. he came, he arrived. This is him. Well. Jewish people are still kind of waiting for their Messiah. Yeah, yeah, because they're like, no, he wasn't one. He's a prophet, not a Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. And so that fundamental difference, me, but also yeah, a lot of people don't, when people, so when this film comes out, 
you know, morning prayer in school is still normal. Sunday schools are still popular. Um, you know, church going is still a big, a fundamental part of British society. Where you know, even though a lot of people are are, are not as interested, and in, you know, it's starting to change with with counterculture and post rock and roll. Mm. There's still there's still this kind of it's still very ingrained. You know, songs of praise is one of the most massive programs on television. Mm. So them choosing to tackle this type, this place, and this time. Is 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 fundamentally about them parodying the British attitude to Christianity. It is very much a big swing at Anglicanism. It mm. is a swing at classical education and how it's taught. The whole yes. sequence with the so there is a sequence in the film where various Jewish rebels who are against the the Roman Empire are attempting to uh, commit civil disobedience by graffitiing the Roman fort. If memory yes. says. And um, the the lead, the, the um, um, sorry, I keep wanting to call him by his actor's name, but Brian is He's caught Brian. by. Yes, I know, <laughs> I know. But Graham Chapman's so wonderful. I miss him. Yes. Such a wonderful actor. Um, uh, so the the rest of them scarper, but Brian gets caught by some Roman legionaries putting up graffiti, and, and instead of arresting him, the first thing they do is complain about the grammar. <laughs> And they make him correct all of the graffiti. And it takes him so long to correct it all that by the time... And then they do the thing that you do in English schools where they say, right, now write that out a hundred times. You know, the lines yes. is the old punishment. And I, uh, When I was still in secondary school, lines were still popular. <laughs> yes. And um, <laughs> and they they do that. And, of course, and then they tell him to go and then... Their, their 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 officer comes out, commanding officer comes out and says, "What's this?" And they realise that he's graffitied the entire, you know, the whole fort. And of course, that's yes. like seen as a victory by the Jewish rebels and all the rest of it. But of course, the par- the, the the essence of it is this idea, this English idea of you Latin, that what's important about Latin isn't when it was or what it, you learned from it about Rome. What's important about it is. You've got to get the grammar right, and speak, and, you know, and write it properly, and lines. You know, it, it's a parody of the education system, yes, rather than and a parody of the time period. For them as well, it's a massive victory because they just wanted. Uh, when I say them, the uh, Jewish um, the rebels, rebels just wanted him to write a big one, big one, but instead he's covered the fort. Yes, exactly. So that's a massive thing for them, and. <laughs> You see, there's a, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who, before this film, had no real understanding of the political context of the time period. Mm-hmm. Right, Le- leaving aside the parody of left-wing groups where they all are, that this film has, where again, very seventies, where they all argue about, um, you know, where, where they argue about which front is which, and you know, the People's Front of Judea, the Liberation Front of Judea, you know, the splinter groups. Yes. You know, it's not which, like how the left is at the moment at all. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, very at the time, very much sort of IRA, PLO kind of thing, yeah. um, Red Brigade to some degree. And um, but but that is not a billion miles away from how you should think about that time period yes. in terms of the number of different jewish groups following aspects of their religion and some not not even motivated by that in order to re- to find ways to um rebel against the roman empire mm. and so the film 
so I think for some people this would have been an eye opener. You know, so for some people this would because they don't teach you this in Sunday school. They don't teach you no. this in church unless you're listening to one of my dad's sermons. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this 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 whole kind of era that 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 the that that Jesus of Nazareth was born and raised in, and then became an adult in is a troubled, difficult time. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's yeah. It's it's like any story. It's why it's why Christianity resonates so much with anywhere where people are are occupied or you know, um, um, uh, ruled by another power from overseas. Yes, um, and it's, I think sorry, God. We got to remember that Rome ha- literally went into other areas mm. and took them over. Yeah. Yes, they allowed to, them to still do their own religion and stuff like that, but they were taxing them. They were enforcing their way of life on people. Mm. Like, you see it in the scene where Brian's selling food and yeah. he's just got the Roman-style food while uh, the Jewish people are asking for their food. But he doesn't have any because it's a Roman coliseum kind of thing. So it's that, it's that kind of... Um, they're enforcing their way of life on us. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, that could have been a very good comment on imperialism that England and Britain in general were doing on the countries we still owned as well. Yeah, no, exactly. And this is exact. This is the thing. The film. Uh, this is this is one of the things I like about the film and why I think the film is still very very funny. Um, but it also comes back to your point about why Americans, why it can often be seen that if you like this sort of thing, Americans feel it's about uh, intelligence because it's not—it's not so much about intelligence; it's about knowledge. Yeah, you act—it's actually a lot of what's funny in Python depends on knowing context, mm. and 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 if you don't know about Roman history, or if you don't know about how we teach Latin in English schools or in grammar schools at the time, you know, if you don't know about any of these things, then actually a lot of the jokes don't work. It's also, just not funny. You know, like uh, it... I've watched Life of Brian with my brother, who mm. is, as you know, but the listeners won't, is very different from me, where I... One good example that I happened with us when we were younger when I was around 18 is that he was watching this American comedy like I think it was called Jake and Josh and I was sitting there going this is so tedious this is so boring and then it was my turn for the TV because that's what my mum and dad had agreed to for us and I switched over to have I got news for you and I was pissing myself laughing and he was going oh you're just pretending it's funny to seem intelligent kind of thing yeah. But we have both watched Life of Brian and we have both together and we have both giggled over it. But his is more the fact of that person's naked, that they're throwing stones, that lady's in a beard, the, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy, that sort of comedy. Well, I was laughing more over the historical jokes and the more British humour of... The British humour, if that makes any sense. No, well, I think that's yeah. the art of it. I think the art of Python has always been that balancing act between straight-up comedy mm. and 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 the more context-based 
humour. I mean, one of my all-time favourite sketches from the TV show, which is, if memory serves, is not in the compilation film. And now, for, actually, yeah, now for something completely different, which basically redoes <laughs> stuff from the, the 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 TV show. I can't remember if that was before or after Live at the Hollywood Bowl, actually. Um, but um, the thing, but the um, the thing I always liked about this. So there's a sketch in which John Cleese is someone very wealthy who is being a nobleman. He's being um, who uh, uh, Palin and Chapman are trying to persuade him to fund their next expedition up. Everest, or mm. one of the other mountains, and the beginning of the joke. Actually, no, it's not Palin. It's just it's just Chapman. It's the beginning of the joke is that Chapman is sitting in one chair, then there's another chair next to him that's empty, and Cleese has got some kind of problem with his sight, and or possibly mentally because he keeps thinking there's two of people there because he's oh, got okay. double vision. Yeah. And so he keeps having to cover up one eye in order to realise he's only talking to one person. So <laughs> initially, you just think this is. All right, this is vaguely funny. You know, guy keeps thinking he's talking to two people and there's one. It's okay. It's not that funny. It's not that great. And then he says, so when then he finally says, so what? So he says to Chapman, so what? Uh, what sort of? Um, what do you plan on doing with the money? What's your exhibition ex- expedition route? And Chapman says, well, okay. Do you mind if I um, use your desk as the? Um, as an example, as, as a map, kind of thing. He says, "Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead." So he starts to sort of say, "Well, if this is the base camp, right? We're going to do this." And then he gets up on the chair, get, and gets up on the desk. He says, "And then we're going to go up the mountain here." And he pulls out his axe and he smacks it into the wall. And he starts climbing up the wall, <laughs> and he goes up round past the fireplace, and he basically enacts the climb up the mountain. <laughs> round the paintings and all everything that's on this rich guy's studies wall. <laughs> I still laugh. I haven't watched this sketch in 30 years and I'm still laughing at it because it's so unexpected. It's the unexpected that makes it funny. And it's the fact that he does it. And of course, there's no stuntman doing it. He actually, Chapman actually does this, hanging himself off a wall, doing yeah. these things. And it's the, it's it's the ludicrous nature of it. It's the fact that they go through with it. They don't just like do it and then stop and cut to another joke. They play it through. They let poor Chapman have to... Chapman has to do the whole route and come down the other side. And you just... That kind of sense of... Like you said, said, that's pure physical comedy. Mm. That's pure physical comedy. Like, even... Like, I I laughed so hard, I didn't even hear half of what he was saying as he's climbing. Because I'm just laughing at the idea that this bloke is actually physically climbing with crampons and and, a, and an axe around someone's study wall mm. uh and i think that's the essence of of python is is yes you can understand that explorers needed to go and convince rich people to fund their exhibi- expeditions which is history and then there's bloke tries to climb over everything in a study which is just physical comedy and that's the art of it and and life of brian may have been controversial because it people mistook it as being a parody of the christ story when it's not a parody of the christ story per se it's a parody yeah. of the times in which the christ story is set the film is very very clear to make it to put to make it clear that uh, this is about mistaken identity this is about a time and place in which people are looking for messiahs mm. there's there's cults galore at this time yeah. Jewish cults yeah. all focus on different aspects of the religion and and what's going to happen next because it feels like a disastrous time. They've been they're under occupation and rule and they want change. And it's like the scene where you've got all the different messiahs 
standing in the row and talking what they believe and yes. trying that kind of reminds me of a uh, Hyde Park Corner. Yes, that's exactly it. That's well that's what it's modelled on. That's exactly yeah. what that sequence is modelled on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so absolutely for right. people that don't know what Hyde Park's corner is. Oh, uh, we better explain that to some people, yes. yes now we have American listeners. Hello. Do we? Oh, yes, we do. Hello, yes. Americas. Hi. We're British. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so Speaker's Corner is a area of Hyde Park, as Hyde Park Corner, as I said. Um, so Hyde Park in London. Big yes. public open park. Which is right next door to Buckingham Palace. Um, yeah. And just for geography sort of thing, it's by Buckingham Palace, but it also links up to Oxford Street. So it's huge. Um, and there is a very special corner, right? It's near where they used to hang people, wasn't it? Uh, it would not surprise me if that was the case. Because uh, it was the reason they started it was because people were allowed to say their last words there. And so they were allowed to give speeches. And so then the tradition sort of evolved into uh, people coming to speak their minds, stand on soapboxes and just speak. And so you have this. I think is it every Sunday? It's the big time. But it, it used it. to, yeah, it used to be the weekends because that was obviously when people had time. But you could go during the week, and there's usually at least one person busy ranting away at everybody. Yes. Yeah, so you will get everything from conspiracy theories about um, contrails to people preaching about religion to leftist people. Uh, talking about communism or uh, yeah, it used to be it used to be the place it's, that you could get all of them. Yeah, and frequently, um, the, I mean, the police used to always go and check on you back in the day and make sure that no one was causing fights and things. But mm. um, my father has a fav- has a story that is famous in our household of when he um, was there one time. I think this is in the seventies. Uh, or maybe in the sixties when he was even younger and he'd first come here. But um, he was he was at Hyde Park and there was a uh, uh, there was a guy busy going on about race and uh, I can't remember if the guy was black or Asian or might have been African. Anyway, my dad was just but this guy was talking about um, uh, you know race and rights and standing up for yourselves and stuff. And and this guy and this and this guy and this white guy in the crowd started being racist towards him. And, uh, and and this guy t- said to him, and there were police there, and they were like keeping an eye out and making sure it doesn't all kick off. But this mm. guy was apparently, my dad said this guy was apparently quite funny, and people were listening to him, even though the guy was preaching pro, you know, the minorities. And um, and when once this guy had a, so this this racist has a go, and um, the guy stops to, he's he's basically saying, um, how great. Something about I can't go home. That's something about go home, you baboon, or something like that. Yeah. And 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 the guy and, and the speaker says, you know which part? You know, there's only one part of the baboon that's white, right? And the guy go and the guy looks at me and says, no, you don't know that, do you? Because you've never seen one. He says, there's only one part of the baboon that's white. He says, and that's its asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the crowd just erupted laughing. The coppers were laughing. <laughs> Everyone was just in hysterics. Um, and, and that's what Speaker's Corner used to be. It used to hmm. be in 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 a in a country where we don't actually really have any. I mean, we have more laws now about free speech than we did, but we don't really have free speech enshrined 
like it is in, no. in the American Constitution or anywhere else. You know, in in a place like Speaker's Corner was a, was the one place you could get it. Yeah, you're allowed to basically say what you want without. It Fox. used to be. It's long yeah, stop. It's no longer that, sadly. Yeah, but it's still got that tradition about it, kind of. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, on, go on. Um, for Americans or British people that want to see an example of it, um, if you watch Reggie Yates' documentaries on uh, Netflix, uh, there's one where he looks at the men's right activism mm-hmm. and uh, in a scene in that you have a Man, men's rights activists talking about the, the, uh, their opinions on women and stuff at Speaker's Corner. So that's a really good way to see what actually happens there. So, yeah. Mm. Cool. And, and the thing is that the Pythons adapt that for the period for Palestine yes. at that time. And it's really, really funny and it works. But as you said, you know, it, it, it's. So, so the film is both a reflection of Britain. Yes. In the seventies and sixties, it's also a reflection of some sensible thinking about the historical period, and saying, "Well, actually, what must it have been like to be alive at that time?" And in that sense, it, I would argue that in some ways, it does a more successful job of getting across the core message of the New Testament. Yes. Than some of the more kind of ethereal. He, like a lot of you know, Jesus Christ Superstar is a musical uh, which in itself was seen as controversial yeah. is still pretty kind of and it's rock and roll but it's still very kind of straightforward and very mm. kind of uh, relatively safe I think relatively safe I mean, there are bits of it that aren't um, mm. but you know it, it, it's still kind of this is the story of, of Jesus and, 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 and so forth and then you get um, what was the other one from the 70s um Oh, the miniseries, Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. Very, very famous. Uh, but the thing is that, you know, Jesus in that is practically bordering on supernatural. Mm. Which I know is like the dumbest thing to say. I'm talking about the Messiah. But my point is that he's not made... He's not made... A, you don't connect with him as a, as a fellow human. Yeah, because the way that I've always seen the figure of Jesus, because to me, he was likely of actual historical figure or he is a combination of historical figures or because his sermons and stuff make a lot of sense to me uh they are very interesting it may be the miracles didn't happen the way that they supernaturally or occult or ethereal or whatever word we want to use for it uh, so like the uh, fishes and wine or walking on water, that sort of thing. It's Jesus always came across as supposed to be an ordinary man that was kind of could kind of do extraordinary stuff. That's yes. How, yes. He was born. Well, he was obviously born to the Virgin Mary, but um, his non-god dad so his stepdad i'd say in so joseph was a carpenter and he was raised as a carpenter and yeah, that's I mean, actually he, and he... where uh the idea of the film came from yeah because... i mean he has brothers and sisters doesn't he yeah um you know he's not alone the um apparently i think it was telly gilliam that was talking because while they're on the press junket for uh holy grail 
yeah. they were talking about, oh, what do we want to do for our next film? Yeah. And they were joking about doing Jesus Christ's Lust for Glory. And yeah, exactly. Which is a parody jokes... of the... Sorry, I was just going to say, just for people who don't know, that's a parody of uh, a biopic that of one of the American generals from World War Two was called Lust for Glory. Yeah. Right. Um, one of the jokes was going to be him with the cross and then going, no, 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 this is made all wrong because he was brought up as a carpenter's Genius. Son, Absolutely which... <laughs> genius. And him criticising and then fixing it to make it better before he gets up and that sort of thing, which is very funny. But... Apparently, they're like, yes, let's do this. Let's do something about religion and about Jesus. And they looked into, they went, they went full on study into religious matters. And the more that they studied Jesus, they were like, there's not actually a lot we can make fun of because what he's saying makes sense. What he is saying is preaching kindness and charity and that sort of stuff. It's like, um, Again, you'll know at the moment I'm a bit obsessed with Good Omens. And it's a line that Crowley says at the... Because uh, they have a scene where you see um, Jesus being uh, crucified. And Crowley turns to a Seraphil and says, what, what has he done? And he just says, oh, uh, he told everyone to be kind to each other. It's that That's the kind of message that I get from... Jesus, and it feels like that's not what is actually preached a lot of the time. A, a lot of what's happened to organised religions over the centuries, particularly something as established uh, as Christianity, um, has they have become they have melted into the fabrics of the societies yeah. that they belong to, and so in that sense you can't parody English society of the time without parodying the English view of Christianity and mm. vice versa. You know, this idea, this this whole thing, you know, the Blake poem, the one that became the hymn Jerusalem, you know, this idea yes. that it's not happening in the Middle East in somewhere that's dusty and hot. It's all here in England, nice and green, you know, that the, we, we it's, it gives you a completely unrealistic sense of what it, of any of the historical content or aspects to this particular time and place, particularly when you get taught it as a little kid doing nativity plays, mm. you know, it's just that the history is missing and the history is what makes it important. The history is what makes it valuable and useful. The most history that I remember getting taught about, because I was taught a religious education, mm. um, was that it was in the desert, so you saw palm trees in the drawings, and there were Romans about, and people wore dresses. Mm. That's about it. I'll have to say that's even better than what I had in the seventies. <laughs> but yeah, it's. It, I think this film is is a welcome antidote mm. to the way it's often been taught and. I feel that it it needed to happen. If they didn't do it, someone else had to. It needed to happen. Yeah. It, 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 you you need well all the target most of the targets it picks for its comedy need to be laughed at. Yeah, it's they're uh, laughing up. If that's the right term for some of it, not all yeah. of it. There, there um, are there are things that I would be interested to talk to other people about. Like I would love to ask one of my Jewish friends what they think of um, 
the Terry Jones's parody of a Jewish mother. Yes. Because I get the feeling that he's basing that more off Woody Allen and 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 that comedians of the time than he is actually basing it off. Mm. Uh, the period. I I would be interested in whether the the hysterical scene in which the Roman senator, uh, who has an uh, uh, not just a lisp, not just a pronounced lisp, but a uh, camp well, list. Yes, a camp lisp, um, and a very camp manner. Yeah. Um, there is a scene that involves him, which uh, the famous biggest dickest scene. I, you know, I have a friend called Biggest Dickest, um, <laughs> which is which is genuinely funny as wordplay. The the scene works as wordplay, and I love uh, all the guards apparently in it would uh, who are extras were told that this is a very serious scene, and if you laugh, you'll get fired. Yeah. So all the crack ups in the background are real. Because oh, that's perfect. Just, that's absolutely perfect. Trying not to laugh. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's 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 that makes it even funnier. But one thing that occurred to me the other day, we were thinking as we were preparing for the podcast. Uh, so yeah, so I think if you are somebody with a lisp and you see the scene, I would be interested to know if you feel that the the humour is centred around simply the name and the misunderstanding and therefore not not in any way attacking or making you as a person with a lisp feel that you are the butt of the joke that would be interesting to and know they're just uh, using silly words that sound like certain things kind of yes yeah. and uh, i would also be interested to know whether the 70s camp element is again something that if you are LGBTQ plus. I would be interested to know whether you feel it's ever so whether it's homophobic or not. It's again, I think I think it's it's very much being a product of its time, being a product of a bunch of men, all white, all, all English, bar male. one who's American. Sorry, all cis male. Well, Chapman wasn't. Oh, wasn't he? No, famously, this is what he struggled with all his life. He was hiding it. Wow, I, that's not something well, I knew. Well, not hiding it completely, but the thing was that it was his. Fa- it was the, it was one of the reasons. I believe he, it's one of the reasons he had. I think was a drink problem. Yes, he did. Was because he was conflict. The, his, 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 yeah, he he it was not a time and a place where he, it was easy for him to be who he was. Was that that's my understanding? Um, so he was trans, or was he gay? Gay, my understanding. Was. Oh, okay. Because um, cis is for the opposite of trans. Yeah, no, no, no. My understanding is he was gay, but okay. I, I mean, I'm trying. I could be wrong. You'd have to double check the facts on that. Um, mm. But uh, but the thing was that, you know, this this is where I do wonder. This is why the this is why a scene like that feels different now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I thought it was hysterical at the time. I, you know, what uh, American critic? Uh, there's an American critic who. Um, Oh, I'm trying to remember his name. Quite a famous one recently passed away. But he he his review of the film starts with, um, so people would. It's not a Monty Python film if it doesn't offend every single person in the mm. audience. And so there is. You could argue there's an aspect of that, but I don't know. I, it feels a lot like mainstream British humour of the seventies, and that doesn't. Yeah, that means it probably is homophobic. Yeah, there were a lot of characters like that, like um, the Carry On films. Yes. And, oh, God, what, what was it? The one about the shop. 
It ain't, um, oh, um, uh, are you being served? That's it. Yeah, which is interesting because there are some LGBTQ plus academics who regard that show as actually groundbreaking because it helps normalize yes. to a mainstream audience certain sorts of behavior. But at the same time, it's got those sort of very campy stereotypes. Precisely. Which is Absolutely. what the uh, senator seems to be. But the difference is, is that in Are You Being Served, um, he's often... When you look back on Are You Being Served, you realise that he's not always the butt of the joke. Quite yeah. often he's the one making the jokes. But at uh, the same time, or... he's never actually come out as gay or... It, he, no, but every but well, that's one of the things. Everyone knows, but are you being served? Has got a lot of talk about sex without actually showing you the sex. Yes. That's the joke. That's Again, the great that's English joke of the time. Staple British humour. Right, but the difference with the biggest dicker scene, I think, is <laughs> is that everyone is laughing. All the characters in the scene and you, the audience, are laughing at him. Yeah, and I think that's the difference. The thing is, I think you can also see by you just saying bigger stickers it, and the fact that I'm giggling every time. But this is, and that's the and, and and that's the thing. You could argue that the real joke isn't it doesn't lie in his lisp or in his campness. The joke this is about undermining power. Yeah, you could argue that it is a form of punching up because he is a senator and he has and therefore has you know power the ability to kill everybody in that room um the... to execute them all and he you know this is and therefore they mustn't laugh but they are yes. and i suspect that i suspect that's how the pythons saw it when they wrote the sketch yeah because they never I don't know. like people to um purposely offend if that makes oh, sense oh well well you no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can agree with you on that. I think, I think, I think that American critic was right. I think yeah. jo- they were out to offend everyone. <laughs> I guess because I'm younger and I grew up with things like South Park, where it is trying to offend everyone. Oh yeah, no, South Park is is yeah, you know, Parker and Stone are clearly Python fans. Yeah, um, and it's just the fact of. That offensive humour is more offensive. I've seen more scenes in that that's offensive to me than I've seen in Monty Python. So I've seen Monty no, Python exactly. as a bit tamer. So uh, uh, over time, but at the time, yeah. uh, but uh, when it came out, it wasn't. And that, as evinced, as we come towards the end of this um, podcast, I think we do need to discuss the response to the film. Yes, because there's the famous TV debate. Oh my god! <laughs> which you I watched. watched. All of it. <laughs> So do you want to tell tell the audience, our audience, about it? So there was a show called uh, Friday Night, Saturday Morning, uh, which it, it's basically a talk show, chat show, debate show. seemed mm-hmm. like, um, I think it was just, because it was 1970s, so I'm not very clear on what else was on during the 1970s. It just seems like... Well, it's like... a late night show. It's the, so it's the sort of show that adults would watch. It was considered for adults. It was considered... Uh, a place that people could discuss things and speak openly. Yeah. Um, it's the sort of th- we don't actually have shows like that anymore. Somewhere in the nineties, this idea of because TV stations used to close down for the night. Yeah. There was this sense that things at the end of the night could be allowed to run for a bit. Mm. So if you had like a rock concert and it was overrunning, it didn't matter. It wasn't going to bump anything. 
Yeah, if you um, had the episode had... itself is actually an hour and six minutes. Yeah, so you so quite often you used to just get a bunch of people in a room, academics or commentators or what have you, and just and have and just talk. And it was what we used to call an intellectual space. Well, French, mm. correction, a French friend of mine called it an intellectual space um, because it's a space where people were. You know, it's that thing that you just don't see anymore. Debates on television are really debates anymore. They're all planned and programmed and very kind of organized. And you kind of know this person's going to say this, this person's going to say that. There's no surprises. Yeah. Like you see on Good, but, Mo- uh, Good Morning Britain. Yeah. Whereas now it's, whereas back then there was real space to do that. So, I mean, the essence of it was to genuinely see what happens. Mm. Um, and sometimes it could be quite surprising and you could have arguments. Um, you know, uh, drunk actors will storm off throwing their drinks, drinks at people and stuff like that. Yes. You know, amazing things. So carry on. Sorry, you were going to say. So they invited uh, two of the Monty Pythons on, uh, which was John Cleves and Michael Palin, which I'd say are two of the more famous ones. Yep. Uh, well, in, mean, in a and... British context, anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. Cause... And also more establishment. Yeah, because um, I think by then, had Michael Palin done his first travel documentary? Um, I'm not sure. I don't. Th- he might have. I can't remember. It was a did, long time. His first one was Around the World in 80 Days, which mm. uh, he attempted to travel around the world in 80 days. And it's a very good sh- snapshot. And I would actually recommend people watch it. It's actually one of my mm. favourite travel documentaries. And John Cleese had already made Faulty Towers, so which is the other thing that John Cleese is very famous for. And so they were well known outside of their Monty Pythonness. The first section is them talking about the film itself and obviously sort of advertising it as well. Then they bring on a bishop and, oh, I can't remember his name. Let me just guess it. Sorry about this. Because uh, it is on the Wikipedia response. Here we go. Um, there it is. Uh, Malcolm Murderidge and uh, Mer- Mary I have Whitehouse. Stockwood, who is the Bishop of uh, Southwark. So, Southwark. Southwark. Yeah. Yeah. While I'm trying to do phonics for my own daughter, I'm not very good at doing it myself. Um, and they had apparently been to see the film, and then there was a debate on whether or not it was offensive or not. And what it felt like was watching it, it I would highly recommend people to watch this debate, is that the act the two actors are actually having a proper debate about religion while the bishop and uh, Malcolm are kind of just jabbing at them and not actually really talking about the film, but just the fact of it's an offensive film and keep on going back over and over and over the same points. While John Cleese and uh, Michael Palin are trying to get, their view across and say they the establishment figures treat Brian as he's Jesus when yes, he is it's... not yes and um, apparently uh, both of uh, Muggeridge and the Bishop 
actually missed the first 15 minutes where they set up Brian is not Jesus. Yeah. And so those 15 minutes are very important in the context because you see the scene where uh, the wise men come and bring the gifts to Brian and they then realise, no, they're not at the right um, stable and race off to the other stable where Jesus is. And then you see the very famous Sermon on the Mount. And they keep trying to point out, look, we have a proper actor being Jesus and standing on the mount, giving the words that are spoken from the Bible. And then the joke is, is that we pan away from Jesus and it's someone going, oi, speak up. Yes. They do not take the mick out of Jesus himself. They're taking the mick out of what's surrounding him and just the attitude. And they just don't seem to get that. And it's the debate actually ends with the bishop saying to the pythons, um, don't worry, you'll get your 30 pieces of silver. And it's like, yeah, oh. but you need to remember that when this aired, you need to remember that the majority of the English public wouldn't, would not have been on the Python side. Yes, I know. But you need to remember that this, the, 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 the Muggeridge was a awful person, but he, I hate to say it. He, and, the Bishop of Southwark had a lot of support yeah. at the time. A lot of support. And this is where we get to mention a very controversial British figure, which is Mary Whitehouse. Yes, who... well, we're, 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 on, I was going to say, we're running out of time. Yeah, this is... This... We'll have to go in... I, I will for, for, we'll, when, you write, when you do an article to go with this, we'll fill in all our foreign listeners on... <laughs> Mary Whitehouse. <laughs> yeah. on, on one of the most dreadful people to ever... Uh, exist in British history. Horrible, horrible, horrible woman who I hated as a kid, um, and I hated as a ch- teenager, and I hated as an adult. Um, she died in Colchester, I found out, where I lived. <laughs> well, you know what? There's more important things in Colchester that are dead that to talk about. There's also a mummy. Yes, for example. <laughs> um, but in the remaining couple of minutes that we have, let's yeah. wrap this up and we'll talk about... Um, Again, I think this is another episode that we could have a part two to do very, very easily. Well, the thing is, I think we've actually kind of made the case for the life of Brian as a history film. Yeah. Despite for all the comedy and all the parody and all the elements that are about British society in politics, I think we've made the case for it as a film that has actually got far more interest in conveying history as it might have been. Oh, that was something I was going to mention. The Lisp, um, at the time in Rome were seen as a very high-class um, There you go. Thing. There you go. So it, so historically, that's what they're parroting. Yes, as, w- now, as well as all okay. the other things. Yes. Right, we've got a minute left. Sorry. So let's talk about percentages. Yes. Uh, God, why did I think that? I just went 69%. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> For the comedy value of nothing else. For the comedy value of nothing else. 69% in ease. Okay. Jenna, where can people find you online? You can find me at Nadesco Kitty on Twitter. And you can find me at the Bunkerzilla blog, writing about lots of different things, including reviews and um, the history column that I do occasionally uh, based on this, which is real history. Um and currently you can find me trying to be a school teacher, which is interesting. 
Excellent. Um, <laughs> people, you can if you want to talk to us about the podcast itself, uh, you can use at 4DA Publishing on Twitter. Um, if you want to talk to me about anything related to work, 4DA Consultancy across most social media. And if you want to talk to me personally, it's at Hugh K. David on most social media. Uh, um, and yes, if you're listening to this, you've been listening to bunkerzilla.co.uk if you're streaming it. Uh, otherwise, you've been, you can download it from Mixcloud or you will listen to our other podcasts on a variety of podcast networks works at this time mm-hmm. i believe that now includes itunes yes it does it now includes iTunes. which because i i download it myself via itunes right and i and the first season is currently available as a playlist from soundcloud uh again look for 4da publishing yes. on soundcloud thank and, you very much folks um, we'll talk to you was, another time i was going to say if people want to write into us give us feedback uh ideas of what to cover please do okay Thank you very much. Cheers. Happy Easter.